Anonymous Was a Woman was recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Jamila and Astrid and the team pay their respects to elders past, present and emerging. We note that this land was stolen and never ceded. My name is Jamila Rizvi and I'm joined by my co-host Astrid Edwards for our episode today about rage. We are continuing this important conversation that we began earlier this week, today with Cole Brown, who is the author of Grey Boy, Finding Blackness in a White World. This is a newer than new book. It is just hitting stores here in Australia as this episode comes out. And Cole is a beautiful, softly spoken man who has created a really courageous examination of what it means to be black in America and to grow up black and also looking at what it's like to live at the intersection of race and class, one that is not often shown in movies and in books in the way that other intersections perhaps are. We talked, Cole, about being angry and when it's right to be angry and when it's perhaps less productive, even when anger still has its place. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Cole Brown, thank you for joining us on Anonymous Was a Woman and congratulations on Grey Boy. It's an enormous accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it and thank you for having me. Let's kick off with why you wanted to write this in the first place. You're a Philly kid. You grew up in the States and you mostly grew up in white neighborhoods. What was your experience as a kid that meant that you wanted to write this book once you're an adult? Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two answers to that question. The reason that I started writing it in the first place is because it was an assignment for a class. Actually, I went to, I went to Georgetown university and was in my second to last year there And the professor required us to write a really long paper on a business we wanted to start. And he called it a book. It was probably about, in terms of length, it was about a third of where we ended up with this thing. But I I told him pretty early on that if I was going to write that many words, I wanted it to be about kind of whatever I wanted it to be about. And I knew immediately that this was the topic. So at the end of that semester, I had gotten about a third of the way there in terms of length, and he offered to publish it. And I said I just wasn't done with it yet, thinking that I would publish it within the coming year. We're now about four years later and I'm finally getting it out. It took way more investment in terms of time, but also energy and sweat than I had anticipated. So that's why I started writing the book, but why sort of I thought that this story needed to be told is is probably really what you were asking. And as you mentioned, I grew up in Philly in predominantly white neighborhoods and didn't see myself reflected in my environment really at all either in my environment or kind of in the broader media landscape. And I think that my experience growing up was more difficult, was made more difficult as a result of that. So one, I needed to process through a lot of that stuff, but then also, you know, I knew that I wasn't the only one like me, but it took growing up to realize that. And if this book can serve as a reminder of that somewhat earlier in in anyone's life, I think it'll be mission accomplished. In Grey Boy, Cole, you mention reading as a child and being given books to steep yourself in black history. And then also yep. as a teenager, and then when you get to university, finding your own literary influences and home, I guess, in books. And I think there's one line that I remember you mentioned worshipping at the altar of Coates and Baldwin. Yep. And this is a big question, but 
Where do you place Grey Boy in that canon? Jeez. I, it, it seems like it would be so self-aggrandizing to place it anywhere. I haven't been asked that. This is, this is, I mean, it's, it's different. I think that, I think that it is the, you know, the, the great, great grandchild of, of anybody that I mentioned, you know, that my early influences, as you mentioned, were autobiography of Malcolm X and Richard Wright's writing and Langston Hughes's writing. And this is both in terms of time, very far removed from all of that, but also in terms of language, there's clearly other influences that are incorporated. So I'd like to think that there's a sprinkling of that. And you see in terms of the epigraphs that are chosen, I, I intentionally tried to pick people that, that represent kind of the old guard and the, sort of the most accomplished literary figures that we have from the 20th century. And I read that often in my spare time. But I also think that this is intentionally modernized. You know, I think that a, a millennial person will read this and, and see themselves in it as well, I hope. One of the things I think I found most striking about Grey Boy is how beautifully you dance around and in between and get deep into the intersectionality of race and class. I think so often we make assumptions about race and class when we're reading about our characters and confecting characters in books and also in nonfiction, we often tend to focus on one or the other. Can you talk to me about the decision to explore both simultaneously? I think it is so, that is really the crux of the book and so important in this story because there's no way to tell this story without both. The reason that this story is about sort of growing up black in a predominantly white context and in order to gain admittance into the context that I'm talking about, there is an element of class. And so much of the, the black narratives that were fed in the States are so often one of uh, also an intersection of class and race, but of a lower socioeconomic status and race. And that was really the point, as I mentioned earlier, was trying to introduce a portion of the black experience that I know exists, that I know is not nearly as rare as TV and books would suggest. And in order to do that, I needed to explore both. So I, I know how my race shaped who I am today. But I also know that there are incredibly important ways in which kind of the privileged context I was in shaped who I am and my opportunities as well. And those two, because they are often interpreted as being in conflict, being black and being within that context, the way those two intermingled was really important as well. There's a lot to be angry about in 2020 for everybody, but you've been writing this book for four years, as you mentioned, Cole. And in the last couple of months, we as a world have witnessed Black Lives Matter, the movement flow out and reach the consciousness in a way that it hasn't for many years, maybe since civil rights in the 60s. What is it like for you to have written a book that speaks to this moment and been working on it for years beforehand and now being releasing it into such a year? I keep getting told how timely this book is, and it's incredibly frustrating to me because I agree. I mean, I understand that it is timely, but as you mentioned, there are a couple chapters that really sort of specifically deal with these issues. And that stuff was written you know, not only was that stuff largely written early on, you know, maybe four years ago, but it's also largely in reference to and reflecting on incidents that were even earlier than that, incidents that were in high school and, and early college for me. So it's it's frustrating to me that not even four years, really, you're talking six, eight years later, so little has changed that people can read this and view it as incredibly timely. And obviously our history, particularly in the States, goes well beyond when I started writing this and the history of sort of very little change happening. So it's been a crazy experience being constantly, particularly because I am in Australia now, 
I am often asked to comment on these issues <laughs> um, and I'm very far from home in the mix of constantly needing to talk about it, but also not feeling as though I really understand it because I'm so far from home has been at times troubling and difficult. Cole, I'm interested in the perspective that being on the other side of the world gives you both on the country you grew up in, but also in the new country you've arrived in because you're in a sense an outsider to both at the moment and observing them. I read a piece you wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald where you talked about arriving and walking through Melbourne for four full days before you saw another black man. I wanted to ask, and this is incredibly parochial, but I wanted to ask what your early observations of Australia's relationship with race is and where we stack up, I suppose, in comparison to the United States. Astrid and I will have our own views, but I'm very conscious that our views are ones that are made in Australia and it's hard to be objective about the place you've always been. Yeah, it's totally different. And and I can only only speak to sort of my experience because Australia has its own, obviously, its own troubled history and issues to negotiate in terms of Aboriginal people. My experience as an as a African-American black man in Australia has been one that, as you mentioned, particularly those early days in Melbourne, I was like blown away. I mean, it was like, you know, it was easy street compared to the U.S. That might be a function of just scarcity. There's just not many of us. But the U.S., what I, what I tried to get at in that piece that you read and just referenced is that in the U.S., there are just day-to-day daily indignities that one suffers constantly being reminded of, of one's own insignificance and inferiority. And I don't feel any of that here. So that's that's been refreshing, to be honest. I don't want to paint a sort of a rosy gilded picture of Australia. I know I know Australia has its issues, but speaking only to my own experience, it's really been nice to step away from a context where where I feel as though I am constantly reminded of my position on the totem pole. Cole, I'm glad that you've had a refreshing experience in Australia. I'm a white woman in Australia. I've grown up with all of the privilege that entails. When you talk about the daily microaggressions and the indignities that a black man will suffer and does suffer every day in America, that is obviously beyond my experience. When I read Grey Boy, you articulated it beautifully and helped me in a very small way to increase my understanding and my awareness. And I guess, you know, we're talking about anger and rage here and forgive my utter lack of experience, but you're not angry. Yeah, that was a hard question to ask. I think you did good, though. I think you did well. I was fumbling. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I don't think I've ever heard you searching for words like that before, Astrid, but it, it is a fair question, Cole. You're you know, we're we're here talking to you on an episode that is about rage and one of the things that personifies your work is an absence of fury yeah i um there's a there's an obvious baldwin quote that fits here what is it to be black and relatively conscious in america is to be in a constant state of rage i i think growing up i felt a lot of that particularly you know you've read the book and in the context that i was in i it was really hard in my interactions with peers in particular, when when everyone's trying to figure out where race fits and how we judge people, you know, in those early teenage years, there was just a lot of animosity at times. A lot of it is in the book. Much of it isn't as well, just because to save paper, I guess, because I could have gone on forever. 
with some of those examples. But, you know, I have, I think I have friends that, and I try to get at this in the last chapter, I have friends that allow that to close them off to the world. And not just friends. I mean, I think my grandfather, frankly, was this way, was just angry, was just just really angry at white people for, for sort of what they had done to him throughout his life. I don't see it as particularly productive. I don't judge it. I get it. I was that for a long time, I think. But I, I like my life and I like and I like the world that I exist in. And I think that it has faults, but I'm not sure simply being angry about it would do much to help me, let alone anyone around me. But I think that it would only work to my own detriment. And I think that that's come with uh, maturity and sort of an acceptance of the circumstances that I'm in. You also exist in what from the outside seems to me to be a difficult space because the anger of both black men and black women is so complex because of how it's viewed and how it's perceived. So firstly, there is righteous and fair anger of black Americans for how they've been treated and for how long, both systemically and personally. But at the same time, there's this sort of really disgusting trope and stereotype of the angry black man as someone who is dangerous, not righteous. And I imagine that's an incredibly strange path to be walking down, dealing with those two realities at the same time. Yeah, I was, uh, as you were talking, I was reflecting on my last answer and I'm realizing that it wasn't altogether totally honest because I don't think my resting state is anger, but I have certainly had moments even in my recent past where I've felt just like total fury, as you mentioned, at some examples. The stuff we're seeing on TV these days, you know, one of the many different emotions that rushed me after watching that video of George Floyd, Fury was was a big one. You mentioned the angry, angry black man trope, but there is a short story I have. I, I was recently in, I won't say where, but sort of a beach town in the U.S. and stepped outside of a bar and wasn't allowed back in. And it was clear to everyone involved that I was not allowed back in this bar purely because I was black. I was the only black guy in the bar at the time. And and exactly what you're talking about. I began to feel fury. I mean, I began to really, and the reason I bring it up in this context is because you mentioned the angry black man trope. And it was like, I knew I was justified. It was obvious, but I only got more upset and more angry by the fact that the angrier, it was a, it was a, it was a toxic cycle. I mean, the angrier I got, the more everyone looked around at me, like there goes the angry black guy <laughs> as though it was unjustified which only in, in turn made me more angry, you know, like people talking to me like I was crazy. So as I mentioned, I, you know, I, I don't think that sort of walking around with your resting state as being one of anger is particularly productive or healthy for one's own sort of mental state. But I don't judge those that do because it's tough out here and I get it. I really enjoyed Grey Boy Cole and thank you for letting me stumble my way to a vague question. <laughs> I am one of the white people around the world who has been reading a lot this year. And I think books matter, but also books aren't experienced. So there's that. When I was reading Grey Boy, I really did feel like I was reading the next iteration, the next generation, the the inheritor of Tainahasi Coates between the world and me is something that I only came to a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I still think about that work and I'm just having a fangirl moment. I think here, Cole, I just really, really. <laughs> we all get one Astrid. You do what you need to do. I just 
for me, books really mean a lot to me. And I'm just saying I really, really loved Grey Boy. That means so much to me, particularly to be to be mentioned in conversation with the work you just mentioned between the world and me. Between the world and me came out when I was, I think, a sophomore in college. I, I think I read that book like three times in the course of two or three days. I mean, I I had never read anything like it. I and so much. It, it's special to hear you say that because so much of what I tried to do, particularly early on with Grey Boy, what I tried to do just sounded like a really, really bad Ta-Nehisi Coates. And then in, you know, equally bad moments, a really bad James Baldwin. I needed to work my way out of that. But it's special to hear you say that because his work has meant so much to me. I've read all of it. And, uh, and, and I think he's just incredible. I remember when he came to Australia for a Sydney Writers Festival, I think, a few years ago, and we ended up in the same green room, and I got shaky. I got shaky, and I am not i am not the fangirl type. That's not my usual state of being. Cole, we have taken up a lot of your time, and thank you for being so generous with your answers because it's a subject matter that, you know, I'm a woman of colour, but I'm, I'm not a black woman and Astrid's a white woman. So it's a, I think it's a subject matter that we come to with recognition of who we are and the lack of experience. But you have opened up a world of experience to us and a level of understanding. And you've done that for all your readers. I want to ask about what I saw as your eventual conclusion and that is this decision to take pride in my mix. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that and what you meant? Yeah, I, so so much of the book is about trying to understand these parts that seem to be in competition with each other. I'm black. I'm in this privileged context. I'm also Ethiopian. It's worth mentioning, and but I'm only kind of Ethiopian because my mom is. I mean, you know, just all these seeming half identities and how they could possibly all fit within a whole person, and then getting to Georgetown in particular, stepping out of Philly, which I, I think I mentioned in that part that you're mentioned that you're talking about. Philly seemed to have clear delineating lines where, you know, they, this is black and this is white and this is poor and this is rich. And, and, and then I got to, I got to college and, and things were just a bit more jumbled up. There's just a lot of different kinds of people from all different types of places. This probably speaks to the importance of exposure uh, to other cultures. I needed that experience to see that, wait, it's okay to be, to be all of these different things at once. And because they all exist within me by definition, they must not be in competition. But that was a long it was a long journey to get there. And I think that this book essentially charts that journey. Cole, thank you so much for your time and your insights this morning. And thank you for Grey Boy. I think the world is going to be very grateful along with us over the coming months. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, both of you. Cole Brown is the author of Grey Boy, Finding Blackness in a White World. As you can hear, both Astrid and I are enormous fans of this work. Cole Brown digs into so many different important topics from parenting and his upbringing to police brutality to Trumpism to mental health. And it is a thoroughly important and contemplative read. That is it from us for this week. Next week, we will be back. We will be talking about determination. And in the meantime, if you do not want to miss an episode of Anonymous Was a Woman, you should subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, you could rate and you could review us really, really well. Take care of yourselves. Wash your hands.